So good to see you this morning. We're so grateful for uh, your presence, and we trust the Lord is already moving and working in your heart uh, as we have sang together incredible truths in Sunday studies. We looked at amazing truths together as well. So uh, we are going to be, we're in a a series in the book of Hebrews. We often uh, make it a regular habit around here to just pick a book of the Bible and to dive into it, and Hebrews has proven uh, to be a very uh, amazing book, wonderful book, dense at times, but very helpful to us as well. So we're going to be in Hebrews 12, and I think I've mentioned this over the last couple weeks, but we've just got a few more weeks left in the book of Hebrews, and then we're going to make a long run, maybe not a run, maybe a long walk into Easter. Um, And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew's account of the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, We usually, Passion Week, we usually take the week of Easter, right? We spend a lot of time thinking through the life of Jesus, but we thought we've got an incredible opportunity. The weeks fell perfect for us to say, well, let's look at Matthew's account, slow down, and look at that last week of Jesus' life. So for, what, like seven weeks, we're going to spend time just kind of walking through the last week of Jesus' life as we walk into Uh, Resurrection Sunday. So we believe it's going to be a wonderful time. We've already been doing some prep and some thinking through that uh, because a few of those days, Jesus does a lot of things. (laughs) And so thinking through uh, what we want to focus on. So uh, we oftentimes let you know what we're doing because our desire is that perhaps in your Bible reading time throughout the week, you can incorporate Uh, Just start by looking at Matthew 21, and we're going to work our way from there. So uh, we're super excited about what's coming up, and that's what we'll look at. Um, And we've got a few ideals that'll lead us into the summer, but I'll hold off on that for now. Um, But do be praying for that opportunity that we'll have to really think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be today. As you turn there, I remember when Jesus became so real to me. Faith Baptist Church in Atoka, Tennessee. Yeah, you heard me, Atoka, Tennessee. I remember uh, this moment where Jesus was more than just a concept that I heard about from a fiery preacher. Uh, But Jesus was a real person. And not only was he a real person, but he had come to save me. And come to find out, he could actually put me together way better And I was trying to put me together. It was the most refreshing and relieving thing. Jesus was what I had been looking for all along. Right in front of me, it was Jesus. To encounter Christ in this moment in my life was life-changing to say the least. Not only was it life-changing, it was earth-shattering. You know, I was 13 years old, and it feels like it was yesterday. And I hate to admit it, but that was 32 years ago. Some of you are doing the math right now, right? I know I look good to be 45. I was 13, and and I knew and I sensed that that, that my life is different. Jesus is, at 13, awesome. Jesus is overwhelming, and he's what I've needed all this time. That was 32 years ago. But I have to admit, though it feels like yesterday, 
it would be a lie to say that it's been easy to endure. Even though that moment, and many of you are hopefully reflecting on your moment, right? Even though that moment changed my entire life, everything shifted for me. I was confident professional baseball was in my future. Yes, you laugh because you know that's not even thinkable at my, well, maybe myself. But anyway, but everything shifted for me. My love, my affections, what I thought was really important radically shifted for me. I was utterly changed. The response of my parents the moment I walked in the door proves I was utterly changed. Not a word out of my mouth. What is up with you? Though that moment is so fresh, and perhaps fresh for you, it has not been easy to endure at times. Life is full of curveballs. I know, another baseball reference. But nothing comes at us straight, does it? Nothing comes at us so obvious and easy. You see, when conversion happens, we sense and we know that God is indeed working on us. And we respond to that with trust. We trust Jesus implicitly. Oh, yeah, he is who he said he is. I trust him, his merit. I cling to him. And not only are these things true, but then the Holy Spirit, or in my world, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit feels like he is right next to us, walking with us, encouraging us, taking the word of God and just slamming it into our face. But then the long walk of obedience, to borrow a phrase from a pastor many years ago, the long walk of obedience begins. Some of you senior saints, if you will, you can attest, some of us, who kind of in the middle, I guess. And it doesn't take long in walking with Jesus that we know that walk is met with various difficulties. It's met, walk with the Lord long enough, it's met with tremendous tragedy. That walk, that long walk of faithfulness and obedience unto the Lord is oftentimes met with great suffering. That walk most certainly is always met with the struggle of sin. And on and on and on I could go. A sense that we can relate. You see, it was like yesterday that the Lord took hold of my heart. And here I am 32 years later, and I can emphatically say I am still in need of endurance. You would think after 32 years, you would develop some pretty good rhythms and habits, and it would come like second nature. But we're fooling ourselves, brothers and sisters. Though it feels like yesterday when the Lord grabbed us, we are still in need of endurance. I do not know what curveball 
will come your way when you walk out those doors this afternoon. I don't know how quickly that curveball will slap you in the face. But I can say we are in need of endurance. We know this to be true by our own story, perhaps. But we know this to be true because the preacher in Hebrews has been preaching it so well. We, they, are in need of endurance. So the question for us this morning, what do we do? How do we remain steadfast in that long walk of obedience? Well, our text this morning will suggest this. It will suggest that we should look at other faithful ones and that we should look at our supreme example of endurance. Let's take some time this morning to look at those two things. Let's start by reading chapter 12, the first four verses. Chapter 12 of Hebrews says this, Therefore, always say what's therefore, therefore. We just went through the hall of faith, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, since that's our reality, it says this, let us, you got to love all the let us statements in Hebrews, they're great. Let us also, so like in conjunction with them, right, the way they did life, let us also lay aside every weight. You don't know what he means by weight? And sin, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Running analogy, whether you run or not, it works here. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, verse 4, in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Let's pause there for a moment. Here, the preacher suggests and is acknowledging that walking with Jesus, we are always in need of endurance. Here, he offers up witnesses and Jesus to think on. We met many examples of faith last week. The hall of faith, we called it. One by one, these people are witnesses. They declared a love for God with their lives. It's hard to deny that they indeed loved God when we look at their lives, that they indeed trusted him implicitly, that they were actually assured their lives declared that they did love God. And even more specifically, they showed a confidence that God does indeed exist. God does pursue. God does establish relationship. So you may be wondering, why is it good to look at other faithful ones? Because we are surrounded by witnesses who remind us 
to be confident that God does exist. It is as sure as your own nose on your face. He exists. It's not just a dream or a big hope of ours. He does exist. These witnesses, when we look at them, we examine their lives, there is a confidence that oozes. God does exist. He is real, and he will do what he said he would do. These witnesses are displays of endurance. You examine their life, what you will see is a radical trust in God. You see, their life in chapter 11, their stories of faith, they surround us this morning. Can you imagine? They just, they surround us this morning. These stories, these witnesses, their life comes around us this morning. You know what it declares? It's worth it. You know what these witnesses say to us? Don't give up. Don't ever give up. You see, the preacher takes their lives, these witnesses, and he encourages us to shed ourselves of weights, of sin that entangles us, just like them. Now, perhaps you already know this, but it's worth reminding you. Do you know the journey of faithfulness is already full of ups and downs? Already is. Don't pick up more weights along the way. When taking a backpacking trip, less weight means more endurance. Less weight, you have a way better experience. Cyclists do the same thing. They're always asking, seeking out ways to make the bike lighter, down to grams. How can I get just the tiniest little bit out of there? Runners, lightest shoes possible. Thin shorts, sometimes a little too thin. Shirts. All of this will give them an edge to endure longer. You have to hear the preacher using their lives and the example they lay before us. For us to have endurance, it is for us to lay aside weights that hinder our endurance. For them, if they'd only been fixated on the here and now, they would have gave up. Because the full assurance of all the promises weren't quite all there. But it didn't matter. They didn't have the weight of the here and now. They had a trust that God indeed exists and will do what he said he will do. Brothers and sisters, the journey with God, following Christ, has enough ups and downs on its own. Why pick up more weights? Perhaps he's nuancing several things to make weights think of a certain way, but I love the fact that he gets real specific. Wouldn't you love to sit under a preacher like this guy week in and week out? Phenomenal. Weights, and he says, oh, and (laughs) sin. It's a tough word for us to hear. It's hard for us to think. It's hard for us to believe that we might have sinful tendencies. If you don't think you have sinful tendencies, ask a family member, coworker, a spouse. They'll be happy to say, no, yes, you, you could probably use some help. <laughs> it makes sense that weight would make it very hard to walk, right? 
And here we get a more specific and, and multifaceted thing to consider. Well, sin. Simply put, sin is of no help. And matter of fact, what he's saying is sin is not actually worth it compared to Jesus. Let me invoke again the moments and the feelings of your conversion. Can you, can you go back there with me for a moment? In those moments... When Jesus was so real, as a 13-year-old, here's how I thought about it. Sin was so stupid. <laughs> when Jesus was so real and so tangible and I was oozing with gratefulness of all that he had done for me, sin was so stupid. I remember a college student, you know, I sit down with him and he's like, hey, uh, he just starts to tell me about Jesus. And I'm like, hey, man. I'm not trying to be rude. I just want to talk to Jesus. <laughs> because if Jesus was who he said he was, he's unreal. And those moments when Jesus, and in moments not only since then, but other moments, right, where there's deep affection, sin just seems irrational. It seems silly. It, it, it doesn't compare to the overwhelming greatness of Christ. And I tried to bring you back to those early days, right? When sin was really stupid, but you, it's still true today. <laughs> no matter how appealing that sin might look, well, for a moment, it'd be great to fulfill this selfish thing I want to do. For the moment, the click on the internet when no one's looking, it, it seems okay. It seems appealing, but the preacher said it's weight. What a, what a great analogy, it's weight. That sin attaches to us burdens. It hinders your running. That's what the text says, running, an analogy of what? Long walk of obedience. It hinders it, it gets in the way. And isn't this a wonderful analogy? You've never, if you never ran in your life, you would know. Put a backpack full of bricks on, it's going to be pretty hard to run. Put a big backpack of water on, it's going to be really hard. But if I just hold a water bottle, well, a little bit easier. It's an incredible analogy. More weight, more difficult running, and in the end, less endurance. Endurance seems to be very connected to sin. More weight, more sin, less endurance. Why? Because it overwhelms us, it burdens us, it weighs us down. Isn't it amazing to make that transition as we looked at the hall of faith? Why do we look at these witnesses? Why do we look at faithful ones around us? You know why? Because they reveal that it was not sin that caused them to run. <laughs> You see, sin did not compel them when we look at these witnesses. If anything, every ounce of their faithfulness is associated with the deep suffering they endured. Being faithful, following God, wasn't always easy. It had various trials and difficulties. It certainly was not sin that compelled them. It was the promises of God. It was trust in him more than their own feelings. It was trust in him more than what everyone else is barking in my ear. It's him. 
It was a conviction of things not yet seen. The preacher highlights that, makes it so plain. Faith has future eyes. It was not sin. They unloaded the weight of the world and said, hey, Jesus is better. Following God is better. They were so convicted that they willingly walked into suffering to run after him. You see, it was an assurance of their hope. Hope was not a dream for them. It was their reality. They were so assured of what God had said, they actually believed it would happen. That in their death, it was not physically in the moment realized, but they saw it from afar. Not a fire, but from afar, from a distance. It was the surety that God was and is God that caused them to run. Brothers and sisters, and if you're visiting with us, in your fight of faithfulness, in your race of endurance, do not pick up weights. It sounds really overly simplistic, but it's fairly profound. What great instruction for you and I today. Don't pick up weights. Don't think for a moment that sin will help you in faithfulness to God. It distracts. It weighs us down. It hinders our joy. But it is oh so tricky. Just the small little bump, right? No big deal. Just a small little bump. No big deal. True north, magnetic north. No big deal way back here. But way out here, it reveals I was running in the wrong direction all this time. I don't want you to be confused this morning, though. This is not an appeal to work harder. It's not, it's not the preacher's not saying, you know what, say no stronger. It's just that simple. The preacher is not looking, the test is not looking to say, hey, you need to develop more willpower. No, what seems to undergird the laying aside, the desire, the longing, the willingness to lay aside sin is this, the more glorious, all-enduring one, Jesus. He seems to be the way that you and I are able to lay aside because when we look at it, we go, oh, well, this, this is better. <laughs> Whether you think this is a stupid move or not, I'm convinced, I'm assured that in him holds all my faith, trust, and hope. The text says, look at Jesus, consider him. That's what these witnesses did, and that's what we must do. See how the preacher's moving? Look at these witnesses, deeply motivating. Their lives are amazing, and now he's getting into the weeds. Oh, by the way, they didn't pick up weights. They would have never made it. They didn't pick up sin, they would have never made it. And oh, by the way, they were looking at Jesus. They considered him. That's what the witnesses did. And that's what faithful ones who have walked before us often do. Verse 2 says, look at Jesus. Then verse 3 says to consider him. It's amazing that all these faithful ones, long before Jesus, long before they knew his name, in essence, they were looking towards him. What are we to see when we look at Jesus? Well, the preacher, the text says, see that he is the founder and perfecter of faith. And those are really rich words, but sometimes, what does that mean? 
But we all would agree that they're chock full of meaning. And there's something about those realities that we're supposed to look at and what we're supposed to see when it comes to Jesus. And, and those things undergird our endurance. You see, Jesus is the one who is preeminent in faith. Maybe I could put it this way. He's the supreme example of faith. Not only does he show faith, but he also gives faith. You see, founder includes that Jesus is the originator of faith. Faith is caused, if you don't know, faith is caused because Jesus exists. Because Jesus, from the first pages of our Bible to the last pages, is where our trust lays. It is also where the trust of these faithful witnesses fell in the promises of God to save his people. They were looking to that work of God. This side of them, we know his name, Jesus. You see, it is upon God the Father orchestrating all his promises, being fulfilled in God the Son's life, death, burial, and resurrection, and the continued application of his promises through God the Spirit. That is where faith hinges. That is what we look at. That is what we depend on. God the Father bringing about all of his promises in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit with us this moment, encouraging us, making the promises seem so real and tangible. I can taste them. They're so real to me, as real as the rain falling right now. But you know, those promises actually are refreshing when they hit me. Jesus is the founder. You see, faith is in him. What is the faith we have in him? The fulfillment of all of God's promises. That Jesus is indeed the only faithful one, obedient one, and he is also the only sacrifice to fulfill the requirements that our sin deserves. See all of Hebrews. (laughs) But he's also the perfecter. See, he's the one who successfully brought it all to completion. See, these before Christ were putting complete complete, uh, um, conviction and trust that God was going to do what only God could do, save his people. And they trusted in that and believed in that. And on this side of the cross, we see he brought it to completion. He was, is, and will always be the one who concluded what was needed to generate faith. To fulfill all that God had done. To put on display, oh, it is worth it to trust Christ. It's worth it to trust God. It's the same thing that all the witnesses did. They trusted God. This is why the preacher uh, said Moses considered the reproach of Christ better than the riches of Pharaoh. Because Moses putting all this trust and hope and faith in the promises of God is in the perfecter of faith, the one who concluded all that was needed. 
You see, the preacher has argued this in really the most comprehensive way through the entire book. He's argued that Jesus is indeed the founder. Jesus is also the perfecter of faith. Look at him. The witnesses, as I've been trying to say, but maybe this clears it up, the witnesses did look at Jesus by looking ahead to the promises of God. By looking ahead to the promises of God that he would do what he said he would do, they are looking at Jesus. Verse 3 gives us another thing. Consider Jesus. Apparently, Jesus is so glorious that there's more to contemplate. Look at him. See these things. Now I want you to consider these things. I want you to contemplate more of Christ. What do we consider? Well, the preacher says we consider that he has already walked the path of suffering. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why are you going to consider that? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What is the preacher saying here? What is, what is Hebrews telling us? The Hebrews is telling us that when we consider Jesus, we should consider that we are not alone in our suffering. We are not alone, alone in the hostility for faithfulness to God. You see, suffering for the cause of Christ is actually the story of Christ. It's actually the story of Jesus. So we should expect it's also the story of Jesus' followers. He endured great hostility from sinners. Don't you love that um, clarity? Sinners, the ones he's dying for. The preacher believes this path of Jesus should also encourage us. Because after making that statement that, that he endured great hostility for sinners, he says, consider that. Why? So that you do not grow weary and faint-hearted. Jesus, brothers and sisters, Jesus suffered as well. You are in good company you should expect the same of your long walk of obedience. So consider, look at Jesus, see all that he has accomplished for our faith. It's in him, through him, by him, because of him. And he says, when you consider him, would you think about the suffering that he endured? He suffered as well. You're in good company. Do not grow weary. This is the path of Jesus. And it's the path of Jesus' followers. You see, perhaps this is already, and, and I hope, encouraging to you, but, but there's so much more for us to hear that pits up in the next few verses when our strength is waning. So here, the witnesses in Jesus, we look at them, we learn things from them. We've looked at Jesus, we've seen what we have in him, we consider that he also indeed has suffered and don't you love the added point, oh, have you yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? So just a little bit of a quick comparison for you. Hey, Jesus endured. But there's more to even consider this morning. Let's look at verses 5 to 11. Verse 5. So he, he's, just, he's just told you to consider Jesus, right, his great suffering. And then verse 5, he goes, oh, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, and he goes to Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the dis discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? The preacher's done this lesser to greater argument over and over again, and this is the best one. <laughs> Verse 10, for they, earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, doing the best they can. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, bank on it, for your good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Well, amen, we agree. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here the preacher gives us more to contemplate. How are we to have supreme endurance? Well, he said, look at Jesus. Well, look at the witnesses. Look at Jesus. Consider his work. Oh, and don't forget your sons and daughters of God. This is fascinating. This is the argument. This is the, uh, the relationship that you and I are in that apparently for him all the suffering and difficulty proves. That the correction of the Lord, the training, the instruction of the Lord to endure actually proves that he cares for you. You see, the preacher, let me argue this, the preacher moves into another encouragement to help us endure. He reminds them from Proverbs that difficulty, that struggle in any form a father uses to discipline their children. Many of you are dads in here, and this is true. Many of you have been sons and daughters, and you realize that a father, although not perfect, a father uses difficulty, a struggle in, in any form, right, to discipline their children. And I want you to think a little bit more broad here. Now, discipline is more than just punishment for wrong. We all agree that is part of discipline. But the sins here, as it says in verse 11, when it says all discipline, it kind of has with it that child-rearing process, right? That you do through what? Instruction, training, and also correction. Yes, that is a part of discipline, but everything seems to be in play here. That God is leveraging difficulty, struggle, and he is disciplining them. Instructing, training, and correcting where needed. So then the preacher says, hey, all that you're enduring, all that you're going through, the discipline is the act of providing guidance for responsible living. That's what discipline is. And we know, as we've said, includes many things, right? Instruction during the difficult times. How do I handle this? Training during suffering. Endure. Feel the weight of that. Be trained by that. But it also includes correction when wrongs have been committed. 
So the preacher is saying what you're going through and what God is telling you proves that he indeed is your father because the father is committed to discipline. Why? Because they love their children. I remember my parents saying, hey, you've got a lot of friends. They all live down the street. I'm your parent. I love you. And I'll do the hard work. I'll do the more difficult work because you need it. And what's interesting about this argument, this, this argument of a father-son relationship that kind of comes when difficulty comes, whether difficulty comes from your sin or not, whether it comes and you just, you can't, like a father and the Lord uses it to encourage them. But what he does is so fast, he, he argues for the other side. He goes, hey, by the way, if a father did not do those things, you know what a child is considered? Illegitimate, as if they don't even have a father. What father in their right mind would not offer himself to their children in this way? And, and the preacher argues if they don't have that, it's as if they don't even have a father. It's like they don't even have a dad at all. And I'm not sure what your relationship with your father is. I, I acknowledge, I was in youth ministry for quite a few years. I acknowledge that sometimes that evokes good things and sometimes it evokes a lot of bad things. And what we decided many years ago in youth ministry is that rather than steering away from it, we put the Lord before them as the one supreme, glorious Father that everybody would long to have. And here it's being argued, he's a good and loving Father. Can you see that in your difficulty? The preacher says that this call of discipline, this call to endure during all their suffering, it actually proves that God is their Father. He'll tell them the hard thing. Yes, he comes around and says, they're there now. But he looks at us and says, don't give up. Don't ever give up. That call of endurance, the instructions on being faithful, the correction that has come in Hebrews, right? The correction that comes when wrongs are committed because the suffering brought about a certain heart condition that needed to be corrected. All of that are committed at of a father. All of that. And he looks at them and says, don't forget that. And so I look at you this morning, don't forget that, brothers and sisters. Our suffering for following Jesus and God's uh, subsequent instructions to remain faithful. God uh, is eager work when the suffering brings out sinful tendencies in our hearts. And he says, hey, you, sh you shouldn't act that way. All of that is acts of a loving father. Do you often connect that as a display of God's love? You've got to love the realistic nature of the preacher. Sure, the moment doesn't feel nice. What discipline feels great? I remember when my father would discipline me. It's like, this is terrible. So much so, I can't stand you right now. And he would say, it hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> okay. Now as a dad, I get it. But you know, what compels someone to do that? Because it actually is hard. Love. Deep, deep love. It's not easy to have your kid hate you for a few moments. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's what a father does. 
Sure, you felt it. You know the moment isn't, isn't nice. doesn't feel pleasant. We're looking at the Lord going, I just, I want it to be wiped away. So to have that suffering to be reframed to say, hey, you, you just need to endure. I'm not taking it away. And the, the, the push, the encouragement is, hey, examine your heart. Make sure there's no sin there. This is so hard. Why are you dealing with me? The, the call to say, hey, take this moment. Remain faithful. That does not seem pleasant. We just want it to go away. But see, a father and our heavenly father is an act of love for him to give us all that we need to get through it. No one became a great athlete by doing less. No one became a great athlete without having moments of hard suffering. It's the same in our long walk of obedience. You see, Hebrews is reframing the hard times. It's reframing all the difficulty. It's reminding us, I know it's not pleasant, but use this moment to hear instructions from the Lord, to have training to endure more, and receive correction from the Lord in this difficult time because it yields great fruit. Brothers and sisters, those visiting with us, this world is going to be tough. And if a Christian is going to make it, they must Look at Jesus, consider his work, and don't forget your sons and daughters of God. You see, Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, according to this text, and we know it to be true, all that Christ has done in his person and work, do you understand? It has secured for us our faith. Our faith is not a dream. <laughs> It is, it is not a dream. When you look to Jesus, it is not a dream. It is a reality that is founded upon Jesus. It is fixed in him. It does not go away. It's the founder, the perfecter of it. Look at Jesus. Would he have endured so much to have us, this morning, believe that it was not enough. That's hard to imagine. All that he has done when we look to him, founder, perfecter, reminds us that our faith is not a dream. It is a reality. It is founded upon Jesus. It is fixed in him. We have faith because Jesus has granted it to us through his suffering. Why? Because he secured our faith in it. Look at Jesus. The word look is not just a small little glance. The word look has with it look and stay there. <laughs> Keep the eyes so fixated on him. Look to Jesus. If the word look doesn't work for you, consider his life. The preacher, the text, has told us to consider the suffering that he endured. 
And it reminds us that, oh, hey, if the founder and perfecter of our faith, if that's what he is, if he, if he perfected it, right, and he's the greatest example, oh, well, then suffering is part of it. And oh, since he founded it and he perfected it, then therefore I'm capable to endure, considering the sufferings of Jesus. See, in that suffering and in that example and in the work of founding and perfecting faith, do you know he gives you the ability to endure? And let's be honest, our suffering is not to the point of shedding blood. I don't really know what the preacher intended there, but sometimes I wonder if he just goes, hey, stop crying. <laughs> Come on. Not to minimize our suffering. Of course, we all, it's real to us. But you just got to love the like, let's, let's be clear, the supreme one who endured, by the way, and in his endurance secured all of your faith for you. <laughs> We've not suffered to the point of shedding blood. I don't know in this room who might actually suffer to the point of shedding blood. I don't know. But you know the answer is the same. Look at Jesus. Consider him. Consider all that he has done. He suffered greatly. Don't you love the words, don't grow weary, don't become faint-hearted? Just the words themselves evoke for us encouragement this morning how do we do that look to him he secured our faith he fixed it consider him he's already walked in obedience so that you could walk we in our suffering we are walking the same path that our strong and secure savior has walked don't give up don't ever give up anyone thinking of jimmy v anyone no all right don't give up don't ever give up. We are his children. Look to Christ, consider him, and also, oh, did you forget? <laughs> did you forget that all of this is reminding you that you're his children? We are his children, and our suffering in any form, it reminds us of that. You and I are not illegitimate children. We do not walk this life of obedience without a father. We walk this life of obedience with a father who is guiding us, instructing us, caring for us, and correcting us. God the Father is our father, and suffering affords the opportunity for him to reveal that to us. Since he is our father, then we must listen to his instruction in difficult times. He, as the Father, knows best. He does and always, always offer better instructions than the world around us. Maybe I could say it this way. He speaks a better word on our hurts, our pains. He offers a better picture of what sin actually does to us. His instruction is don't give up, don't ever give up there's more to come look at Jesus consider him God will not let his children suffer without the grace and the mercy to endure and you know the text reminds us that we suffer with the assurance of a better home awaiting 
our suffering isn't useless. <laughs> and all of it brings about a greater assurance of God. Isn't it amazing that God uses difficulty to give us greater assurance? Brothers and sisters, don't give up. Don't ever give up. I believe that we are capable to endure great difficulty because we are equipped by the supreme one who endured all things, Jesus. If you're visiting with us this morning and you wonder about this person, Christ, because I think I can make an argument that outside of Christ, I don't think you can endure. I don't know how. But in the difficulties of the world around us, in our own struggle of sin, even in our struggle with sin outside of Christ, it is a scream to consider him. Look at Jesus. Revision with us and don't know the Lord, I ask you, grab somebody. Somebody that can walk you through the great realities of what we have in Christ. Pray with me. Father God, you are glorious. Father, I am so encouraged by texts that work towards um, grounding our motivation in things that are real. I love the fact that the Bible doesn't skip over the fact that life is hard. I love the fact that the, the preacher is so realistic about faithfulness to you. That he's willing to say, oh, if you don't know this, you are in need of endurance. And then offers up for us example after example. And not only just examples to just say, hey, work harder like them. But examples to show us what it's like to trust Christ above all things. We are hard pressed if we... Spend our days looking at Jesus, considering him. It is hard-pressed for us to think that we won't endure. We will endure. Because we look at Christ and all that he has secured for us outside of ourselves. He has saved us, redeemed us, justified us. He's done all of this work, reconciled us. He's granted us, secured our faith. We have all that we need to be faithful. When we look to him, we know that our faith is secure. Father, when we consider the great suffering that he endured, it reminds us that we should not give up and never give up because of all that Christ is and will do. Father, for some among us who don't know you, we ask you would work on them to draw them to you this morning. It is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.